How can we stay calm as the season is starting? We'll ask Lore Michaels, the fantasy baseball Zen master, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. And there goes a line drive to left field. Swan is after it. He leaps it over his head against the wall. Here comes Gillian Stewart. Feet close together. Larson is ready. Gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three. Levels the bat a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires. Rose Swain. There it is. There it is. Get out. Get out. All right. It's number 41-92. A live drive single into left center. Swung on and hit in the air to deep center. Finley back. Away back. On the track. At the wall. Gone. A three-run home run for Scott Brosius. Scott Brosius might well be. The left-handers wide. The 0-2 pitch on the way. Swag! It's over! He has done it! High fastball, Randy Johnson being mobbed by Scott Bradley down to greet him and the entire Mariner team here on the 2nd of June. It ends at 9.51 Pacific Daylight Time. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April 7th. It's show number 15 of the 2015 fantasy baseball season, and of course, the first since opening night. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you. We'll talk with Lore Michaels, fantasy baseball Zen master, about early season moves, the Craig Kimbrell trade, Theo Epstein and Disrespect, his studs and duds, cool tunes, and much more. And in our Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Yankees second base prospect Rob Refsnyder. It's another big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The season has started. How can we keep our calm? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of our Tuesday edition, our feature expert interview with fantasy baseball Zen master Lore Michaels. Lore, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Oh, it's always too long, Patrick. I, I, I always enjoy uh, uh, enjoy our our discussions, you know, even on the streets of New York, my friend, when people are eavesdropping. That's right. Yeah, we had that experience uh, not long ago at Tout Wars. Uh, Lore and I were walking back from the. Uh, Tout Wars uh, party that took place on Saturday night, and uh, and um, as usual, having an animated conversation that covered a wide range of topics. And after about five blocks, this woman came up behind us and says, "Excuse me, I, I just have to tell you guys, I've been eavesdropping, and it's been a very interesting conversation." And so we invited her to join the conversation. She was very nice herself. Yes, an expatriate, if uh, if I remember, lived in Spain. That's right. But yeah, it was pretty funny. I told uh, I told uh, Mr. Chandler that, and he said. That never happens in New York, though. It happened to me twice in one day. So that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. No, it's the beauty of our discussions is that they're pretty much all over the map, which is what makes them beautiful. And uh, just before we started uh, this recording, Laura, we were talking about the similarities between uh, looking at IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, and browsing through Baseball Reference. The uh, enjoyment that can be had just by clicking on links and seeing where they take you. Oh, it's it's 
I don't know. It's one of the marvels. Uh, as, as I noted, uh, music kind of does that too. That that you know. Oh wow, you know. Richie Furay played in Poco before he played in Buffalo Springfield and then went to that band. Actually, I think the, my order is backwards. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, oh, oh, Dick Ellsworth. Oh, yeah, he pitched with Bobby Shantz and then Bobby Shantz played with so and so. It's, 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 it, the, the good part is it's fascinating with movies, with, with, with things you're interested in. The bad part is it's very easy to lose the better part of a day and not know what happened. That's exactly right. And, uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about music in a few minutes on the show here, uh, talking about your website, rockremnants.com, Laura. But let's start with some fantasy baseball. Uh, how many leagues? What formats are you playing in this year? That sort of thing. Ugh, I don't think I've counted the number of leagues, although it's it's not as out of control as it might seem. But, of course, I, I have uh, the Tout Wars uh, AL, it's a 5x5, five five, and my Labor NL, that's uh, also a 5x5, five five, and then I play in the XFL, which is a 15-team mix. But uh, I play a lot of other formats. I have a score sheet team that's uh, done very well. I'm, I'm in a couple of Stratomatic leagues. One of them is a third. That's my favorite league, actually, a 30-team uh, which is, you can imagine, fairly deep uh, and with strict usage rules. And then I also play in a Hall of Fame league where we each have 10 Hall of Famers and then play another year. And this time, oh, it's it's 2008, so you have your 10 Hall of Famers, and then you have to fill out your roster with, uh, with, with 2008 players, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then I, I do Ron Chandler's uh, monthly Chandler Park game, which is kind of fun. And then I'm, I've actually been doing, uh, I'm starting to do daily Daily stuff, fantasy score, and then uh, as is pretty, which is our Masters Ball partner, and then FanDuel has a weekly Tout Wars contest that I'm also participating in. So I'm I'm almost as over the map as the IMDb, but not not quite. What do you think about the daily game? What is it that you like about it? You know, well, uh, there's a bunch of things I like. One is I like playing games. You know that when it when people diss or poo-poo playing variations. I like to play games. I like to play Scrabble. I like to play Cribbage. You know, uh, if you taught me how to play Go, I'd play that. I like to play Backgammon. I like to play games. It's fun. So that I think that's that's the core that really binds us. Um, the daily games, it's, it's kind of fun in, in sort of the same sort of immediate football sense where you're really watching things happen today and it's instant gratification. Um, and I think that's good. I, I think playing a lot of formats is also I think if you play daily games, it's going to help me in score sheet. It's going to help me in Chandler Park. It's going to help me in in AL Tout, just like playing an AL Tout and playing score sheet and playing Stratomatic should help me in daily games. Just the more familiar you are with a player and with the, uh, his his catalog, resume of statistics, and what he he can do, uh, you know. I mean, I mean that's how basically by playing Stratomatic is how I learned Dennis Leonard because the Royals were my team in the 70s, that Dennis Leonard was terrible in April and into May. But if you wanted a pitcher down the stretch in, in August and September, Dennis Leonard was as good as they get. And, and I think knowing little things like that are, are helpful, uh, to, in, in, no matter what format, whether you're playing in freezing a guy or whether you're looking to trade for a guy, whatever it is, or whatever it is you're looking to do, I think that that's really helpful. And, and I also think the industry has grown so much and that, you know, the, the, the next generation they, they, that, that's what they like to play. And I think if you're going to stay dynamic as an industry and, and, and vital within the industry itself, you have to uh, sort of accede to 
uh, you know, it's, it's what is it? Uh, uh, the Buddha would say it's easiest to ride a horse in the direction in which he's going, and uh, I I tend to to try to do that and embrace what is new as opposed to resist it as much as possible, even though I'm kind of a cranky old man at this point. Ron Chandler, in his Master Notes uh, last week here at Baseball HQ Radio, Lord, was talking about the uh, growing influence of the daily game and, and the demographics of the game, and he seems to think that the uh, the the uh, onward uh, momentum of the daily game probably means that sometime down the road it's going to be relatively rare to find the longer format games, especially full season uh, uh, rotisserie baseball as it was first envisioned back in the day. Uh, how much time do you think that full season fantasy baseball has to run before it really is anachronistic? I, I don't think it will ever be anachronistic in, the t- in an absolute sense. I can see how people will eschew it or kind of move away from it, but I would not be surprised after X number of years if it enjoys a renaissance. And and I'd use Stratomatic for that as an example of that, whereas I played Stratomatic, uh, you know, intensely from, I would say, about 1976 till about 1988. And that was it. That was what I played. That was what I loved the most. And then I discovered rotisserie baseball and threw Stratomatic by the wayside and played it pretty seriously, just fantasy, and discarded Stratomatic for probably seven or eight years. And then with the Internet, with things going online, Stratomatic had an online league, and they updated a little bit, and, and I went back to it because it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I, I, I just think... I, I, you know, things are cyclic. Uh, you know, psychedelic clothes are happening again, and, and they, it's been it's been forty years. But you know, I, I think things move in cycles, and I don't think, uh, it, it, I think, you know, year long, season long leagues might again, they might fade a little bit, but I think they'll be back, and some another, another generation will discover them, and, and and the folklore and the lore involved with them, and I think they'll, they'll have a place again, and daily things might take a backseat for a little while but I, I i don't i'm not too worried about I've that i've always thought that uh, the, the difference between daily gaming and then uh, the season long version is I think it's going to be very difficult for a bunch of guys to just get together and ha- and play a daily game unless they all go to the bar and keep track of it or something on a given night. Whereas it's relatively easy to make uh, season-long fantasy a social thing because there's the one big event at the start of the year, which is the draft, and then you kind of stay in touch because you're trying to make trades and make deals with these same other guys. And I, I think the social aspect of season-long fantasy gaming is going to keep it uh, I think it's going to remain a fairly vibrant thing for that reason. It's not going to be a big part of the cash industry that daily gaming is clearly going to become, but I, I think that in 10 years' time that, that a lot of young guys who are now playing daily games are going to gravitate towards the uh, towards the more social uh, full-season games. I, I think you're right, and you know, not, not that I'm much of a trash talker, but... But there is something kind of binding about it. And in fact, a couple of people were shocked that I don't play in a local league. And when I say local, I mean local to where I live in the Bay Area. Although obviously that's how I, I started and I played in a local league for 12, 13 years. But what I tell people now is tout, tout, excuse me, tout and labor. Those are my local leagues. Those are where my friends are. You know, I'm happy to travel to go play with them. 
I'm happy to see them. I'm happy, you know, I know how they play. I know how they're going to bid. They know how I'm going to bid. And I like, uh, you know, they're my friends. They're my dear buds. And I think that the, you're exactly right. The thing that binds you is 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 that season-long sort of endurance and familiarity with going through the whole pain process of waiting for the draft, drafting, smashing your head against your a, a, a brick wall because Irvin Santana you know was a was was a great buy at 10 bucks and now he's not now he's gone and 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 and, and just sort of struggling through there's there's something really binding and bonding about that 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 can't be duplicated in the daily sense and you know Daily games are still fun. It's instant gratification. That's there's something nice about that. I, I was just thinking when you talked about tout wars and labor. This these are the drafts. These are your home leagues. I know that I I really enjoy the social aspect of the tout wars weekend just as much as maybe even more than the uh, the actual draft and and all the rest of that stuff that goes along with it. But I like the fact that I get to see my friends and and sit around a table with them and and wisecrack and and have fun. And I just can't see if somebody came to to us at some point in the future and said. Let's have a Tout Wars draft where we all get together, but it's a daily game. I just don't see that it would work, and I don't see that it would be that much fun. No, and, and you know, you miss out on nice conversations walking through Times Square where strange women do come up to you and say they were enjoying listening to you. So <laughs> it's great. It's really great. It all happens. Uh, Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Laura Michaels. And Laura, big news over the weekend was the uh, seemingly sudden trade of Craig Kimbrell. The Atlanta Braves uh, clearly retooling have sent Kimbrell to San Diego where he'll close games, a whole bunch of parts moving in both ways. What was your reaction when you heard the news? I got to say, I was kind of shocked. I, I, I you know, I mean, I, it, I, I think the, the, I could understand the Braves trading Kimbrell, and, and they, I guess they did okay in return, but. The Padres had Benoit, they had Quackenbush, uh, and and I, I I'm not sure if they're quite as good as the as they've been sort of lauded to be. They obviously have a lot better roster than they've had in the last few years, and they have a, a, a legitimate outfield now, and that gave them the kind of spare parts to be able to trade to the Braves, who are I, I mean they're. Last year, if I had to look at a team and say, that's the worst possible outfield at the beginning of the season, it was Seattle. This year, it's clearly the Braves. So I'm not sure how much they upgrade with Cameron Maybin, but I, I really think if, if I were them, I'm sticking uh, Carlos Kenton in the starting lineup as long as he can stay healthy. But but that's not much of a rebuild either, I don't think, with either no. of those guys. I, I really think Matt Whistler is, was the best chip that they really got there. But But I was shocked. I really was also, and not because of the parts that were moving, but I just thought that Atlanta would wait till partway into the season where teams get a little more desperate and a little more willing to part with assets that Atlanta might be able to use. I I didn't think that uh, Carlos Quentin at his age and given his injury history is that much of a get. In fact, I thought I read somewhere that Atlanta has already asked waivers on him to send him down. And uh, Cameron Mabin is an interesting piece. Maybe he gets some full-time play without having to worry about, you know, is my role secure? But he's been a bit of an injury risk throughout his career as well. They do get Wizzler a minor league outfielder, a Jordan Perubeck, I have to admit I've never heard of, and uh, and a draft pick. So the first most surprising thing was how soon that Atlanta pulled this move. The second most surprising thing to me was how little they got for him, although maybe that was the price they had to pay to unload Melvin Upton's huge contract. Uh, that could be. And I, I think you're right. They 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 designated Carlos Kenton right away. I, I personally think that's a mistake. He's 
better than anybody else that they have in their outfield if he can stay healthy. So, I mean, the guy's got, what, 185 career homers. He's When he's, when he's healthy, he produces pretty well. Um, when he's not, he's, it's, it's a problem. But who better do they have to put out there? So I suppose, but maybe they're just thinking, look, he's not part of our future in, in whenever it is they move to that new stadium in Cobb, uh, Cobb County, is it, in Atlanta? They're going to try to put a good, solid young team out there, and I don't think by any stretch of the imagination Carlos Quentin qualifies as a good, solid young player. He's a solid player, but not the kind of thing you build a, a future franchise around. Meanwhile, of course, uh, Melvin Upton does get to rejoin his brother, and uh, do you think this has any uh, positive ramifications for him? No, nope. <laughs> I think Melvin Melvin had his couple of really good years, and I, I mean, I'm I'm very happy for him. I hope he enjoys playing with his brother. But his brother's better, and at at best, he's a. I don't even know if he's a fourth wheel. He's a fifth wheel there at this point. He's got some value. He has a little bit of pop value off the bench. He's got some speed still, but he's not an everyday player anymore. And it's too bad, but he's not. So nah, I don't. I I think. You're you're right. It was, it was it's, it, it, in a familial sense. It's very it's a nice story. In a practical sense, it's salary dump. I do think that the the Padres might have a need for a defensive replacement at least in late innings uh, for in center field where maybe Upton could participate. And I've read in places they think he might be able to challenge to be out there full time. I don't know if they uh, if they do, if the bat doesn't rebound. I think that there's just general trouble. Uh, Joaquin Benoit, of course, or Benoit, some people, I don't know what to call him. Uh, Joaquin Benoit moves from closer to setup. That means anybody who spent significant money on him in drafts uh, up till last night is going to be uh, on the outside looking in. But meanwhile, what happens in the closer role in Atlanta? Um, I got a, I, I, if I had to pay, pay money or, or gamble, you know, to, to make a pick, I'd probably go with Jason Grilly, which should should be the guy to get the ball. Uh, I know they've got Jim Johnson, who, if you remember, I, well, we all got to see him in Oakland last year for part of the year. And I mean, Johnson had two pretty good years in 2012, 2013, but he even then he had control issues that that he's he's wild. And I I saw Grilly Grilly, if you remember, came up with the Giants and. I just think he's got a little better resume, uh, and uh, you know, I the, the the flip though is it's sort of well, even you know, even on a bad team, uh, a, a closer will get thirty saves. However, the Braves are a bad team. The the thing I really wonder about though is their their minor league. I, I think you're right with their new park. Their minor league system isn't all that great, and I just don't see a whole lot of direction in what they're doing. I don't see them like. Like like the Cubs have uh, uh, developed, like the Red Sox seem to be retooling and rebuilding. Like uh, well, and, and I, I look at Tampa uh, many years back, maybe ten, twelve years back, when Tampa just kind of said, you know, "Let's just kind of chuck it for a couple of seasons and focus on draft picks," and really built an extremely good team that was very good for a decade or, or, or more. I I don't see that much of an overall plan coming out of Atlanta. So I, you know, any any, it's anybody's guess. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Lore Michaels from MastersBall.com and elsewhere. And Lore, in the first couple of hours after the uh, St. Louis-Chicago game was over, I saw a fair amount of movement on the transaction boards in my leagues. What's your feeling about making moves, really, before the season has uh, even begun? Um, for the most part, I would I would eschew that. I I, I think 
patients. In fact, I have a podcast that was up on Master's Ball earlier in the week called Dr. Patients, and it basically was noting that in my FSWA, my, my Fantasy Sports Writers Association League that I'm curating, and that's an AL-only snake draft, which made it pretty deep with no reserves. You got a DL, but no reserves. And one guy was too impatient um, to wait until the official disabled list was announced, and he dropped Alex Cobb, and he dropped Josh Hamilton. And I just can't... I even if you lose a, a day statistics uh, making making panic moves is not a good way to win uh, in my opinion on the other hand you know, you know i mean i i have as i noted i have Irvin Santana on my tout wars team in my score sheet league uh, where we got eight freezes my number 9 pick my first pick in the draft was Irvin so uh, fortunately in that league i it's very deep and i uh, big rosters, and I had Kendall Graveman, so I could plug him into Irvin's spot. And fortunately, in Tout Wars, I had Marco Estrada, and I could plug him into Irvin's spot, and hopefully he'll give me a little bit of production back. But I think unless you really have to replace somebody who's hurt, who was set down, or who's not going to give you everyday value, I think you just have to kind of sit tight. And I also think that, that really it's to our advantage almost to start slow, because the players who are going to give you the most production coming out of the minors or out of nowhere will come up usually the first few weeks of the season. If your team is in the bottom of the standings, you have a better chance of picking those guys up. And, of course, that depends on how your league rules are set up. Uh, in many leagues now, we're using the FAB system, and, and you have to decide how much to bid. I imagine there's going to be quite a lot of bidding on Jason Grilly, but that's kind of an unusual situation. Most years, we don't have a blockbuster trade taking place on the Sunday night before opening day. It's it's true, and and as I guess a consolation or at least some comfort to people who tried to get Grilly and didn't. If if there ever was a position that's volatile in the major leagues these days, it's closer. There's there's as we all know, there'll be a half a dozen guys who will be closers by the middle of the season who aren't now. So I would again, that's sort of another uh, indicator that that patience is is really the way to try to go. At least it's. It's not like fantasy football, which if you're you know which is or if you're playing a daily game, it's not quite the same. Where you know you want to pick up Jonas Gray um, and then be disappointed by him. You you have to let your roster settle a little bit. You have to let people get into a groove, and you have to let people show what they could do. Because especially in a deeper league, everybody's going to have a couple of holes. So, and and my theory is that over the course of a season. You can afford to have four or five bad weeks and still be very competitive. So I hate to get those bad weeks out of the way early in the season. Or I, bad weeks could you could also be a mistake, such as drafting Irvin Santana and have him be suspended, or something like that, or or Chris Sale and he ends up being out for the whole year. But for the most part, you could you could eat a little bit of downtime. So I, I think things don't really start to happen till May as far as players getting into a groove, being warm, being comfortable with what they're doing. So I think patience becomes prudent at this point. Just to be clear, Chris Sale's not going to miss the entire year. No, no, <laughs> I was just an example. But uh, yeah, and, and I love Chris Sale. He's probably my favorite pitcher in the American League. Uh, the reason I say that is a week or two ago, we mistakenly said Noah Syndergaard had been um, 
put on the DL for the year. And of course we were referring to Zach Wheeler and a bunch of people got very excited about that. Laura, you have a regular column at mastersball.com and uh, you talked about most recently the Chris Bryant saga and asked what it's going to take for Theo Epstein to get a little respect from the media and from the fans in Chicago. What did you mean by that? Sometimes I have a hard time listening to sports talk radio because people say, oh, you know, the, the Giants should trade Matt Duffy for Chris Bryant like the Cubs would do that. But I think, I don't know what Theo has to do. He went into Boston, he, where, where they had won a series in, in 100 years, and he won two in, what, four or five years. Right. Goes to Chicago, where they haven't won one now in, like, what, 116 years, and essentially puts together the best collection of minor leaguers anybody maybe has ever seen. And... People are second guessing him, and I under I, I, it comes up not infrequently. I'm sure this happens to you, where well, we could use the Braves Padres trade for an ex- as an example of what they do that for. I wouldn't have done that, and sometimes we're actually correct whether we're amateurs or not. And I also understand, as with any management thing, there's probably salary. There's other things that um, lie beneath the surface of the obvious trade of bargaining chips of players for one another that we don't always know the whole story but to second guess a guy who has basically put together such a good core who understands that all right you know we're probably not going to make or break our season over 10 days this way i get to keep my team intact for another for an extra year essentially and chances are if he's really that good i'm just going to give him a contract in the middle of this thing anyway and avoid arbitration I just can't see second guessing. It's sort of, it's you know, I'm my 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 politics are, are pretty obvious, but I I sort of think about it. You know, when people go, oh, Obama, he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. Well, you know what? The truth is, he he is smarter than most of us. And I would say the same for Theo Epstein. He he he's done a magnificent job. His he he knows what he's doing. Uh, if if he made a mistake, I guess we'll find out. But certainly. Chris Bryant would not have made any difference in yesterday's game uh, that I could see. That was all that that was all bad pitches at bad times, some lap laps of of playing time. And I've I've said all along, uh, I've said for a good year now that by the end of 2016, the Cubs were going to be the best. Or 15, the Cubs are going to be the best team in baseball, and they are one of the best, and they will be the best team in 2016. But I also am fairly well convinced that it's going to take them half of this year to get used to playing with each other, to be comfortable shoveling the ball on, on double plays and knowing where to play each other and what to expect. These guys are, half of them are very young, and it's, it's, not, it's not like you just can plug into the next level with a bunch of new guys and just play brilliantly. There, and there's also the Bryant question of he, he's not a third baseman. We saw him at the Fall League. He's not a third baseman. So is he going to play left field? And if so, how many games does he have out there? Let's and and do you want a young guy who can hit very well to basically plug into a major league slot, playing a position he's not familiar with, where he could struggle defensively, and that could affect his hitting, that could affect his confidence there. And I I just I think you know I'll go back to Theo, smarter than we are, and I'll, I'll yield to him every day. He's also a good guitar player. Yeah, and that's a point in his favor. Uh, the, a lot of the commentary that you see on the comment boards by regular fans and also a lot of the people uh, who are in the media and trying to make hay with this story, 
have sentiments that, that say something like, I sure hope the Cubs missed the playoffs by one game because Chris Bryant would have been worth at least one win in the two weeks or worth two and a half weeks that he's going to have to wait before he gets his recall because the Cubs are trying to save that year of arbitration or that, that uh, time towards uh, when they have to really start uh, digging into their wallets. Now, Laura, I, I don't know if you agree with me. I, I think that the whole salary structure of young players in baseball is is really disadvantageous to them, and their rights have been negotiated away by somebody who wasn't them. They didn't have a say in how that contra- that CBA got negotiated as far as they are concerned when they first get signed. They're under some kind of salary constraint. For the first X number of years in their career, they're under a salary constraint and so forth. And in a free market, if Chris Bryant had just come out of his uh, college days uh, and, and was a top prospect and just said, I'm a free agent, let's have the bidding, we know he would have done a lot better. That all being said, the rules are what they are. The The contract was signed and so forth. And I don't think the Cubs are that good that one game here or there is going to make a difference. They're going to lose one or two anyway during the year. They should have won. They're going to win one or two. They should have lost. That's how it always goes. I think I agree with what you said. I think this team's window starts in 2016 and carries on for four or five years after that because of all these young stars that they have. And from that point of view, Epstein is exactly right to do what he's doing. He's lengthening the time that he has control of Chris Bryant during the peak window of four or five years for this team, not just this year. When they're they're in a tough division, they're in a tough league, I don't think one guy can make that much difference. I think he's playing for next year, and I think he's right to do it. I I totally agree, and, and I agree with the, the salary structure. And I've, I've long argued, um, when in, early, in my early career I was a healthcare analyst, a uh, pretty high-level healthcare analyst for Kaiser Health Plan, and Kaiser Health Plan has basically three, there's three entities: two are nonprofits, the hospitals, and the health plan, which sets rates. But the doctors' corporation was basically has a, a an exclusive contract with the hospitals to provide medical services, and the doctors' corporation is for profit, and the doctors are the ones who decide how much the other doctors are going to get paid, and there's peer review. I think if Major League Baseball were really smart, they would put together however much X billion dollars that they pay in salaries, figure out what the ownership rules for how long you could have a player when, when, when you do sign them out of college or, or out of high school. But aside from that, I would give all that money to the Players Association and say, you guys figure out how much to pay yourselves. I don't care. You know, I have the rights to them for this many years. I can renew a contract, but you guys figure it out. And I, I think that would change everything. And it would give the players a say. It, it, but I bet, you know, I, I bet it would, in a way, it would be disconcerting because, in a way, it's saying, all right, you want to be responsible. You want to get what you're really worth. You've got players. You do just what your value is. And, boy, I bet that could, I bet that could, could make for some interesting arguments uh, just within the baseball community. But I think that's the smart way. If I'm an owner, that's what I'm going to do, something like that. Or, or at least that's what I would – or if I ran the organization at large, that's what I would look at. That just makes total sense to me. Yeah, but if I was in the union, it would be about the last thing I'd let you get away with. I think they rely very heavily on the uh, – on the uh, salary momentum being created by dumb owners making stupid decisions about how much to pay, you know, Marlon Bird and guys like that. And then they can go into, the player can go into arbitration two years later and say, hey, they gave Marlon Bird $12 million and I'm twice the player, give me 24 And it's a hard argument to argue against. I, uh, I, I can see that it would be interesting for the owners if they could get away with it. I don't see the players ever agreeing to that. 
Probably not anymore, but uh, yeah, I always I always think about John Denny, who I guess after his his couple his salad year with the with the Cardinals uh, signed with the Reds and was hurt, and and I don't think he ever really pitched for them. I remember seeing an interview with Marge Schott on sixty Minutes when when she was still the owner of the of the Reds, and she said, "Well, can I can I do can he do you were paying him like eight million dollars? Did she can I get something for him?" And the, the GM said, "No, that, I think it was Bowden at the time. Maybe said, no, that's not how it's done.'" And she said, "Well, can I get him to come over to my house and cut my lawn?" Which <laughs> I always thought was kind of an awesome. It was a very practical and yet completely naive response to how things worked. But I thought there was something there was something beautifully marred shot in her saying that. And but John Denny, yeah, Brian Taylor. Remember Brian Taylor? Yes. The Yankees drafted for $10 million, and his mom negotiated a contract, and he hurt himself and never played a day. Uh, I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he hurt himself in a bar fight and uh, and never played. Yeah. So it's all a big crapshoot, but anyway. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Lore Michaels from MastersBall.com and elsewhere. And Lore, we talked earlier about having been in New York for Tout Wars and all the fun that was going on there. You're also a member of the leadership group of Tout Wars, and this year you guys added a fifth league that you called Tout X. How did that come about? Um, well, it was it was actually, I think, Peter's sort of idea, Peter Kreutzer, that Jeff Erickson, who are also on the LLC with Ron Chandler and me, that, that Peter kind of came up with saying, let's maybe we should have some kind of an experimental league. And Jeff sort of proposed it at the Arizona Fall League and said, why don't we add a league where the rules and the participants change every year? And in that sense, we could try different formats. We could give, because the industry has grown so much, we could give more people a chance to show what they could do publicly. And it makes it just a little bit more fun for everybody. And we all thought, well, that's a good idea. And because Ron uh, was the outwars, we all just looked at him and said, all right, you get to figure out the first year of what we're going to do. And he asked if we minded if we did a variation of his Chandler Park 30-day game. And we went, nope. You know, we all, every year we all get, we, we're going to rotate who gets to decide what the rules are. So, uh, that, that's sort of the seeds of what happened, and it just all kind of grew out of that. And uh, we're actually real excited about it and real happy about it. I, I, I thought that the Tout X draft, and I told Ron the day before we were having breakfast, and I told him the day before that, uh, uh the draft that I was pretty sure that, uh, the Tout X draft was easily going to be the most interesting, strange, wonderful, part of the entire weekend, and I, I think I was right. At least it dazzled me. I thought it was just fantastic. You mentioned that it's based on the Chandler Park rules, a 30-day, and the other aspect of Chandler Park is that it's salary cap. You have a you do have a salary cap, but the salaries are pre-assigned, and as a result of the pre-assigned salaries in this particular league, you guys also did it as a straight draft rather than everybody could have Mike Trout. Only one person could have Mike Trout because he would be drafted, but because of his extremely high salary in the format, uh, Mike Trout was not a top draft pick. The, the players went into it and, and went through it looking for value pretty much all the way. They, they did, and that was what was so fascinating. And it's the, you know, the, draft, the, the draft setup that, we, we, that Ron concocted with pre-assigned salaries and drafting, you know, filling out your $300 salary cap, using the pre-assigned values, that was so different. And for the, the remaining months, it goes back to the sort of default where everybody can have Mike Trout. But I thought just that whole reverse engineering, building your team, that, that, um, 
that 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 Adam Jones uh, became more valuable than Andrew McCutcheon. That Chris Sale, because he's maybe going to miss a couple starts, didn't get drafted at all. That Michael Brantley didn't get drafted at all. That Jason Kipnis became a reserve pick. That was just fascinating to watch and to see the dynamic of how because all the owners took it very seriously. They were they were thinking about it, and and th- that's what's fun. Huh? It, you know, it's a game, but you you want, you want to think about what you're doing, and I, it just made for great drafting, for great thoughts. And I actually think Ron, that I think that whole I, that, that he might be really be onto something. That that could be when we talked earlier about different formats and how maybe the season long format might be dying a little bit. But this this was incredible, and I could easily see leagues, you know, uh, kind of popping up where you do have preset salaries and only we only get the rights to one guy, and where all of a sudden Mark Burley, who's a early season favorite of mine, who's three dollars who's traditionally very good in April, suddenly becomes a top-line pitcher, whereas the Dennis Leonards, uh, like I mentioned, who are better later in the season, nobody wants. And I, I, I think there's you know, Jordan Zimmerman, I think, is an example of somebody else who went on a reserve pick, but he wasn't a top, he wasn't drafted till the very end. And that's there's something fantastic about that. Too. If I remember correctly from uh, your coverage of it at MastersBall.com, did Craig Kimbrell also not go, he was unselected? Am I right about that? Yes, you are right. He did not get selected. I guess somebody must have had a premonition. Well, I guess it wasn't that he was going to a better team, but yeah, it's you. You could if you could survive with with Dan Ochero if because because of the Chandler format where it saves and holds. All of a sudden, an eight dollar Dan Ochero and maybe six dollar Kevin Quackenbush are as valuable as a fourteen or a nineteen dollar Craig Kimbrell because it, finding a good one dollar holds guy isn't as easy as finding a closer and you can't I I mean I played the game all last year you can't win if you don't have holds and the beauty of part of the what the dynamic in the Chandler Park game too is it does allow for Friday roster moves so if I don't have enough starters where if I have a couple of guys that have two starts during the week, obviously I can keep them in my active roster. But if I have Mark Burley who starts Thursday and he's not going to pitch again till the following week, then I got to have a Dan Ochero uh, or a Quackenbush, a setup guy that I can plug in to that slot and pick up some 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 hold points and some strikeouts. That's uh, or either that or I have to have a pitcher, uh, another starting pitcher. Uh, that that I can plug in for the one start, but you definitely have to stream them and think about all the categories, and that that's that's tough, but it's fun. <laughs> it was fun, and it looked like they were having fun. Uh, one other aspect of the Taudex draft this year, for the first time ever in Tau Wars, we had women participants. Yay! Um, I've been lobbying that. I think probably for ten, twelve years. Uh, just I I I I, I was trying to find. Uh, well, we're, I think we're all, none of us were against it, but uh, I, I was really um, kind of being a Berkeley hippie militant about. Kind of, there's got to be, there's got to be a way to be diverse, and so having Andrew Lamont and Stefania Bell it was just a great thing. Uh, we were trying to even get Stacy Stern, the wonderful Stacy Stern, who partners with Colton and the Wolfman. We were trying to get her involved as well, but it was um, unfortunately spring break and. She and her family had vacation plans, so but but I think that's a good thing, and uh, I think the more diverse we could get, 
uh, the better, the better for everybody. Tote Wars uh, goes on all year. Of course, you can monitor what goes on in all the leagues at totewars.com. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Laura Michaels. Uh, Laura, you're also a member, a founding member of the website rockremnants.com, where you and other fantasy baseball guys, basically, the, uh, Steve Moyer and Gene McCaffrey and Peter Kreutzer, and you uh, write about music. And the last post I saw from you at that site was uh, a very generous praise of Liz Fair. What is it about Liz Fair that you like? Well, uh, that clip mesmerizing was from Exile in Guyville, which I, I think, and I, I guess most, quote, serious rock critics, unquote, if that doesn't sound too pretentious, really liken it as a feminist response to the Stones' Exile on, Guy, on Main Street, which is, as it turns out, my second favorite Stones album, Beggar's Banquet being my favorite. But uh, it's, it's, it's very Stonesy, uh, and it's very bluesy, it's very visceral and rootsy, and it's got a lot of attitude. It's in your face, and and yet, you know, uh, there's a really good songwriter. At least her early stuff was was rocking. Um, she was at, at at the same time um, extremely aggressive as a woman songwriter, and yet also very vulnerable as a woman in a relationship or just a person in a relationship because we all have our insecurities. And there's just something very raw and, and accessible about it. That when I, when I first bought that album, I, I could not stop playing it, and I hadn't played it for a long time. The thing that's the thing that reminded me of it. I was driving in my head a, a bit of a ride. I saw my brother-in-law to play golf a couple of weeks ago, and was looking for something fun to listen to. And the car was top down. And I hadn't played it, and just remembered just what a great album Exile Drive there is. And mesmerizing is real. It's very
From her 1993 album, Exile in Guyville, that is Liz Fair and Mesmerizing, a musical selection by our guest on this edition of Baseball HQ Radio, Laura Michaels. And, Laura, you mentioned the Rolling Stones, and, boy, you sure can hear it in Mesmerizing. Yeah, you really can. It's, it's, it's got that, that pounding bass drum on the, on, on the one. It's got the maracas shaking in the background and those just real chunked-out rhythm chords with the uh, guitar kind of guitar licks and bends just kind of laying under the surface. And it's also, it, 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 it builds a good dynamic and a good energy where it's moving forth and it just, it just sounds like it's going to explode any moment, but it still stays controlled. And I, I just think it's a great song. And, and I always regret that I didn't see Liz back then. I actually had tickets to see her, her first tour, but uh, there was a family issue that came up and I wasn't able to, and I always regretted that. Another uh, band that you mentioned at rockremnants.com, Yola Tango. This is a, a blast from the past in a certain way, although they're still going strong. Uh, what is it about uh, Yola Tango that gets you? Uh, I, everything, uh, aside from, as we've discussed, the baseball illusions uh, that, that Ira... Is the who's their lead guitar player, principal songwriter, is a a Mets fan from way back. He 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 loves Mr. Met, and and the, as we discussed, the Yola Tango is back to this apocryphal story about the the the, the sixty two Mets and Elio Chacon and Rich Ashburn and I think Rod Keneal and trying to understand. I got it when a pop up came out, but so so there's that. But I I I'm a big Wilco fan too, and I like their their album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot as an example of something where uh, the band will either start a song with some real dissonant noise and feedback, and it will build to a crescendo. And then out of that, out of the ashes of that white noise, this lovely little pop tune will come out. And sometimes it's the inverse. It's a lovely little pop tune that builds into something kind of a cacophony and then comes back to this sweet little song. Well, I think Yola Tango are the originators of, of doing that. They, uh, Ira writes really lovely songs, but there also can be songs that are just uh, my, my my poor wife Diane, which I think uh, one of the the songs I mentioned I'm really I I, I love. In fact, I, I think I put that on the remnant side. It's called it's, an, it's just an instrumental built on a little riff in a D major uh, D major scale that goes Mixolydian. That he's just playing. I was just playing a couple of notes between the third and the fourth strings, and it's just so lovely. And then all of a sudden, it's this wall of feedback and. Every time I listen to it, and I love that song, if Diane's around, she'll go, can we turn this now? This is awful. But uh, it just completely nails me. It doesn't sound particularly musical to her, but uh, it's, uh, it, just, it, it's, it really gets me. And I've seen them three times live. They're really just a great band. Uh, they're a little bit, they're, they're, they're one of those bands, too. There's, there's something about discovering a band, and then all of a sudden, you know, they become huge. And then you sort of feel like they're not yours anymore. Well, I, I wish Yola Tingle all the success in the world, but I like it kind of that they're sort of a little bit of kind of my secret favorite band. Uh, they're, they're, they're just great. They also do great covers, and they played the Velvet Underground, and I shot Andy Warhol, which is always, I mean, how could you lose being picked to play the Velvets? We'll let our listeners decide whether they're with you or with Diane on Yola Tango. This song is called I Heard You Looking. It's a live version found and linked at rockremnants.com by Laura Michaels. This is Yola Tango.
And from the 1993 album, Painful, Lola Tango and I heard you looking, Laura, let's get back to baseball. And uh, once the regular season starts, as you know, having been on the show before, I like to ask our guest experts to pick some studs and duds for the season. Studs, of course, guys, you really like. Duds, not so much. Yeah, let's start with hitters, Laura, and the American League. How about a stud hitter that you're looking at for the American League? Well, I've had some discussions about this, but I'm a huge proponent of Mr. Yoannis Cespedes. I think he is just going to flourish with some real good hitting around him. I mean, he's got Nick Castellanos hitting behind him. And Castellanos is really not bad. I mean, he had a pretty good first year. Just He hit, I think, 11, 15 homer, but in the 15 home run range and is capable of much better than that. He's got V-Mart. He's got uh, Cabrera and Kinsler hitting in front of him. And J.D. Martinez, I, 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 I just think... His his role when I saw him in Oakland was he he Yoannis made uh, Josh Donaldson and uh, Brandon Moss better hitters just because he was the guy that other pitchers would pitch around. He was the guy that could kill you, and I think when there's going to be with that Detroit offense, there's going to be nowhere to go, and he's going to get better pitches. And I think he's I, I think he could do 25 plus homers. I think he could do 95 plus RBIs on that team and probably even steal a few bases. He does have a little speed. How about a stud hitter in the National League lore? Uh, a little, not, not quite the same Cespedes mold, but and if he's got to stay healthy. But I'm a big Mike Morris fan. Uh, he's, I think, still just 32. He has had his health issues, but he's, he's hit 30 homers before he hit for the Nationals. And, and actually, the, the, the Fish are a pretty good team. they got maybe the best young outfield of anybody, and he's going to play first base and have Kristen Yelich and, and have Marcel Ozuna and have uh, Stanton batting in front of him. It's kind of like Cespedes. And all he's got to do is play first base, which is merciful. I've seen him play left field, and it's not necessarily a, a pretty thing. But, but the guy can definitely hit. He has a great uppercut swing, and I think hitting behind all those guys, he's, it's going to pay off big time. Again, he's got to stay healthy. That's been his big issue. But I really like, I really like Mike Morris a lot this year. It is the injuries, and he's got that muscular build, which sometimes presages a lot of injuries. Hasn't seemed to bother Mike Trout much, but how about a dud hitter in the American League lore? Um, well, I mentioned Brandon Moss. I think he's going to struggle without um, quite as much hitting around him. In, in I think he's in Cleveland now. And the guy who I thought was hitting way over his head last year, anyway, although I was lucky enough to get him for a buck in Tout Wars, is Danny Santana on the Twins. I I don't think there's any way he comes close to hitting what he did last year. And I do have my concerns about V-Mart. Not that he's bad, but I think last year was such a good season, and he's 34. It's very difficult to duplicate a year like that the older you get. I think he had his fantastic year, and I, I think it would be a mistake to expect him to duplicate that. Didn't Danny Santana have like a 41% hit rate, a 410 uh, BABIP, something like that? And if you look at his minor league numbers, his contact rate wasn't even close to anything like that. And I, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Like I said, I got him for a buck in Tout Wars, and he was great. But I just don't... I, I, if I had to pick a guy on that team that I like better, it would be Eduardo Escobar, who's only 26, who has a better contact rate, who plays second, third, short in the outfield. Uh, I think he switch hits even, so I, I like and, and can play shortstop. I like him better. And in the National League, lore, how about a dud hitter over there? Uh, I got a couple. I, I sort of thought of one. As, uh, as much as I like the fish, I'm not sure if D. Gordon can, can replicate what he did in Los Angeles. Uh, I, he is the table setter, so they're going to be looking to him. And also, 
I hate to say it, but I'm not I'm not really that convinced that Ryan Braun is you know he's still despite what two three years of struggles is still pretty much considered a, a top three round pick, and uh, I I. I if he hits 280 and hits 20 homers and knocks in 75 runs, I think that would be good, but that clearly means he's not a, a top three pick, or I wouldn't gamble on him. I think just too many injuries, not enough time with his, his, his cleats on the ground. I, I just don't, I, I think he's, his, his best years have passed him by. So for hitters, Lore Michaels likes Ioannis Cespedes and Mike Morse as studs. Not so sure about Brandon Moss, Danny Santana, D. Gordon, and Ryan Braun as his duds. Lore, let's go to the mound now, and we'll start with some stud pitchers. Who's your stud for the American League? Well, these guys, the guys I picked for pitchers are a little more on the sleeper uh, realm, but uh, if you've seen Kendall Graveman pitch on the A's, who was part of the, uh, I think, the Josh Donaldson spoils, that guy has a real heavy sinker. I think he pitched around 20, 25 innings in the, in the spring, had an ERA under one, uh, he really gets people to bite at the ball. He gets strikeouts, and and he doesn't. He's not overpowering. He throws like a heavy sinker as his big pitch. So I think his arm strength and his arm durability are are pretty much intact. And and Billy Bean's good good at, at this stuff. He's good at trading for guys. He's definitely good at recognizing talent. And I think I think Graveman is definitely a guy to watch. And then another guy I just would keep an eye on because he's. He's had a couple of off years, but I, I, I have a good feeling about C.C. Sabathia that he doesn't have to be the number one starter on that team. Nobody's really sure what's going to happen on that team anyway, so the pressure's off, and I think C.C.'s going to come back and have a little bit of a renaissance. From your lips to God's ear, as they say, I've got C.C. Sabathia <laughs> in my tout wars. Uh, got him in the end game for a buck. Uh, in the National League lore, who's a stud pitcher you like there? Well, I remember betting Paul Sporer last year that that Sonny Gray would have a better year than Garrett Cole, and, and I was right. This year, I think Garrett Cole has a better year than Sonny Gray. I think Garrett Cole kind of steps it up now that he's had mostly the most part of a, a full season. He's a power pitcher. Uh, I, I, I think he becomes a dominant guy in the National League. And then just for a little bit of a sleeper pick, uh, again, it's a health issue, but I really love Brett Anderson, who's on the Dodgers now. There's fifth starter. Nobody's ever questioned how good he is, but he's doesn't really throw. He's changed his game. He's a ground ball pitcher now. I saw him through four innings in the spring, and basically he gave up two singles, to, one of them to Matt Duffy, who is a guy I really like as a kind of a reserve player in the National League. But, uh, but anyway, he was getting people to bite, ground out. He's got a good defense behind him with Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick. And, I, I, again, if he could stay healthy, I think he's going to reward people. And moving to the duds in the American League, uh, Laura, who do you think's a dud pitcher you don't want any part of? Uh, well, the two guys who seem to be going high in draft to be well thought of are both Matt Shoemaker and, and Colin McHugh. Uh, I never saw their success coming the way it did, uh, and I, I just think they're going to both struggle. Um, I, I just don't think they're as good as their numbers were last year. Wish, wish they were, but I just don't. I'm not confident on either of them. And how about a dud pitcher in the National League? Uh, a couple here. I got, I'm, I'm, I, although he pitched really beautifully against the uh, the A's on, I think it was Saturday. Um, I'm not sold on Matt Kane and Matt Kane's return. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure he can get the big out. And, and again, he was pitching a lot of off-speed stuff, moving the ball around, not overpowering, but effective on Saturday, but that was only one performance. I think in general in spring, he's been knocked around a bit, and he's been knocked around a bit 
for the last year and a half, and I'm just not sold that he's a horse anymore. And I wish I wish I could trust Tyson Ross on the Padres, but I don't. I saw him pitch too much as a young guy. So, Lor Michaels pitchers, the studs are uh, Kendall Graveman and CC Sabathia in the Na- American League, Garrett Cole and Brett Anderson in the National League, the duds, Matt Shoemaker and Colin McHugh in the American, and Matt Kane and Tyson Ross in the National. Uh, Lor, thanks a million for talking with us today and especially uh, giving us those cool tunes to listen to. Uh, how can people follow you? Where can they follow you? Uh, where can they read more from you? Well, first, it's always just such a pleasure to talk with you, Patrick, about my, pretty much anything, as we've established. Uh, I'm at mastersball.com every Monday, the hot page, where I look at eight or so players who caught my eye, uh, maybe were brought up or got some playing time that you might not expect over the previous week. I do my bed goes up where I get to rant on whatever I want to. That's where I talked about Theo Epstein every Saturday. And then Tuesday, Friday, and Sundays, I'm also... Um, doing both podcasts and supporting little pieces on Masters Ball uh, to help people play daily games. Uh, Wednesdays, I'm at the USA Today's Fantasy page, uh, writing on the minor leagues. And then every Thursday, you can find me at Chandler Park, writing the Zen Lab on the Chandler Park format. And, of course, you can always find me at rockremnants.com. Must keep you all very busy. We're grateful that you take the time to do that and to do this. Laura Michaels, thanks a million. We'll talk to you again during the year. Thanks so much, Patrick. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. Lore Michaels writes for MastersBall.com and all those other places you just heard him mention. When we come back, it's the Minor League Minute. This is Baseball HQ Radio. I gambled on, on other sports other than baseball. I never gambled on baseball, but uh, I think I'm uh, being punished pretty severely. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. The season is underway, and BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with features like our buyer's guides with in-depth analysis of batters, starting pitchers, and bullpens. This week in his starting pitcher buyer's guide, Stephen Nickrand looks at six starters across the game. We have daily analysis of player performance and playing time, as well as analysis of big changes in the major leagues, like our analysis of the blockbuster Craig Kimbrell deal that went down on the weekend. And we continue to provide industry-leading research and analysis focused on fantasy baseball, like Matt Cedarholm's research article this week, looking at what a save is actually worth. All that and much more, it's all updated every day to help you dominate your league. And it's all in one place, the website with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for a regular Tuesday commentary. It's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Yankees second base prospect Rob Refsnyder is BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon. For those of you who had your drafts last week and are now scouring the waiver wire for a hidden gem, you might want to take a look at the New York Yankees' Rob Refsnyder. The 24-year-old Refsnyder was sent to minor league camp last week, and the Yankees will go with veteran Stephen Drew and the recently acquired Gregorio Petit to start the season, so Refsnyder should be available in most leagues. Ref Snyder is a bit of a late bloomer, and you aren't going to find him in any top 100 prospect list, but he provides a nice blend of offensive and defensive potential. While not a great athlete, he does move well, has good hands, and has the added bonus of being able to play the outfield if needed. At the plate, Ref Snyder makes consistent contact with a good line drive stroke and a solid understanding of the strike zone. At 6'1", 205 pounds, he has good size and average power for the position. In 2014, Ref Schneider hit 318 with a 387 on base percentage and a very nice 497 slugging percentage in 515 at bats between double and triple A. 
He also stroked 38 doubles, 6 triples, and 14 home runs. He isn't going to provide much in the way of speed, but a second baseman with a career OPS of 833 definitely has some potential. If Steven Drew struggles the way many anticipate he will, the punchless Gregorio Petit is not going to be the long-term solution for the Yankees at second base. So if you can stash Ref Snyder away on your reserve roster, he could return a nice profit by the end of the year. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and the team have reports and updates on the top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-up reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. If you need to know prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April 7th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 15 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our special guest for this edition of the show, Lore Michaels, the Fantasy Baseball Zen Master from MastersBall.com. And I want to thank our Minor League Minute commentator, Rob Gordon, from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with a news and notes edition featuring Todd Zola. On the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners, it is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.